the German Innovators in China podcast. We are bringing innovation to China and Germany. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the German Innovators in China podcast. My name is Till, and today I welcome you to a new episode of our new series, the Chinapreneur podcast series. Today we have a very interesting guest, that's Patrick Theobald. He's the founder of um, Theobald Software and CTO of Peakboard. And Peakboard is a startup uh, headquartered in Germany and they do data visualization for manufacturing companies, logistic companies. And he went to China first time through kind of a delegation trip, like a startup class. And followed up on China pretty much on his own, trying to get a foothold in the market, trying to get first customers. Until then, he really registered a company in China and employed his first employee there. Um, he has a lot of very interesting first-hand information and first-hand experience that he can share with us. Let's get to it. Please give it up for Patrick Theobald. Okay, Patrick, thank you for, for joining us and to be part of this, this series. Where are you located at the moment? Yeah, thanks a lot for the, for the invite. Um, I'm currently uh, here in beautiful Stuttgart, southern Germany, uh, where the company is headquartered, but uh, working from home, as a lot of people right now in Germany. Oh, yeah, yeah. I just thought about it. We, we, our trip to China is already like more than one year ago, right? Is that also the last time that you were in China? Um, it was not the last time I was in China. Um, I went there in December too. So um, I went there once ah, okay. more um, after we met there. But it still feels like uh, it's a different, a different life, a different age, so far away. Yeah, because I remember you said that you will, you are going back and forth to China quite a lot, and and I mean for me the same. We do a lot of the delegation tours. One of these delegation tours we went together, right? And um, and now we didn't do any of them all this year, and it's 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 a weird like feeling of time that uh, like it's one year ago, but uh, it feels like very distant and very close at the same time. So it's kind of strange, but yeah, we have to kind of live with it. <laughs> Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But we will see better times. I, I hope yeah. for I hope for early early next year, mm. uh, hopefully yeah. back to normal, and then we will meet there again for a nice Chinese authentic dinner in Shanghai. Or yes, yes. Like <laughs> yeah. And your base, your home office, or are you also traveling at the moment? How's the business going for Peakboard at the moment? Um, actually, the whole the whole company is more or less working from home. So we are currently very rarely meeting in office, and um, the travels in general um, they are actually close to zero. So we had a small wow. a small window uh, late summer where we did customer visits, but now it's um, it uh, it's November, and we are we are back to home. No no traveling uh, at all, um, except for the Chinese colleague. So he's doing a lot of traveling within China, but but for the rest of the people here in Germany, uh, no no traveling is possible. Yeah yeah, that's that's good that you at least have somebody in China that can keep the business going. Yeah, and we we come to that in a minute. I th thank you again for having you on because I think it's a very interesting. 
um, episode that we're going to do here because you have been um, building up your company also in China, have entered the Chinese market and have a very interesting journey that also other entrepreneurs, I think, can learn from. And um, why don't we get started by you telling us a little bit maybe about yourself, but also about the company Peakboard. What are you doing exactly? What problems are you solving in manufacturing? And um, yeah, maybe we can start from there. Okay, yeah, uh, I really would like to do that. Um, basically, I'm the I'm the some kind of CTO in the Peakboard company. So I, beside the China expansion, I basically um, care about uh, technology stuff in the company, uh, product development. And um, what Peakboard is doing is a little bit complicated to explain sometimes. So the idea is follow is the following: um, in in the logistics or manufacturing business, uh, the people who work there in the factory or in the warehouse, they often lacking information. So they're lacking information about um, how the current order is going, um, other problems in the production and so on. So usually only the supervisors or very high level people are informed. And when they are informed, they are usually informed too late to take countermeasures or to fight problems in the manufacturing or logistics process. This is the idea. And um, Peakboard can be as a tool used to um, bring better information to the people who work directly in the process. So the let's say the low-level workers or the workers who really do uh, the work in 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 the manufacturing. The idea of Peakboard is that um, the customer or the company uh, can install uh, screens in the manufacturing process and Peakboard itself is a um, is a is a small computer it's a box that has the size of a of a cigarette pack and um, has a lot of um, has a lot of cpu power to gather information within this process so the box itself it can connect to the machines it can connect to uh, probably erp systems it can connect to uh, sensors it actually can connect to every possible source within the factory um, collect the data, collect the information and show it to the screen uh, to the worker. So what precisely is shown on the screen, of course, depends on the company, it depends on the process um, and it varies between the customers. So PeakBot is actually only a tool where you can use this data collecting and um, data cleansing and um, this ETL process and then display the data. That's the idea behind Peakboard. And it's so easy to do that actually uh, you don't need much IT resources to build up these screens. Um, that's, the, that's the basic idea behind Peakboard as a company. Okay, but and all this data all this data has to come from somewhere. So it, there has to be at least some source of data um, that could be a machine, a CNC machine maybe, or a sensor, or maybe other already kind of smart manufacturing devices like machine vision or uh, things like that. Or is it really the the, the very basic uh, things or, um, yeah, how do you... Well, actually, even the, 
even the high level, the machine vision things can be used together with Peakboard. But in real life, basically, um, the customers use more the basic stuff. So they connect the yeah. box to real to, to like a CNC machine or they connect the box to SAP. And one of the USPs is that you can mesh up this information. Um, it's, mm. for example, often the case that there is a planning system where the, where the orders that are uh, processed within the factory are planned um, and, and, and later on, they are meshed up together with the data that comes from the machine. So a typical example would be you plan an SAP that we produce um, 10,000, I don't know, 10,000 metal casings today. And mm -hmm. so this information goes from SAP directly to Peakboard. And then also Peakboard connects to the machine to ask, oh, how many metal cases have we already produced? Let's say there are 5,000 already produced. So you can, you can um, present this information on the screen. And this helps the workers to have an overview. What are we doing here? And where are we standing uh, with regards to where should we be um, when we want to uh, finish this order today. This is the typical information that is provided on the screen. Okay. And, um, and what are the use cases? So the applications where you, you where mostly of your customers um, are, what industries are there? Is this more in logistics where you have really to process something yeah, from A to B, in my understanding, for example, or is it... Uh, a more manufacturing company that is building complex metal uh, products, for example. Um, definitely uh, both, both areas um, mm -hmm. are our target audience. And I can say manufacturing or logistics is more suitable for PeakBot. Actually, it works in both directions. And actually, in both areas, uh, the use cases are quite similar. At the end, we often see that we have some kind of orders that have to be processed. And we have a current status of these orders. And the people want to know what is the current status of these orders with regards where we should be. Yeah. And I mean, as an outsider and not engineer, I'm always um, looking at all these Industry 4.0 smart manufacturing startups. And like f from an outside view, it looks to me everything is about efficiency. Everything is about making the manufacturing process more efficient. But can you give me like, uh, is there something like uh, categories where you fit in in all of these um, kind of startup industry 4.0 um, landscape? Because I'm, I'm seeing a lot of machine vision. I'm seeing a lot of, you know, what you're doing, data visualization, process visualization. Then obviously there's also hardware, there's robotics, AI in the robotics. Um, are there companies that are doing similar stuff or how do you fit in? Can you maybe uh, yeah, do a little bit of a kind of categorization there? Um, actually, a typical categorization would be um, that we are not necessarily a typical um, a typical smart manufacturing device. It okay. can be used within a smart manufacturing, but we see a lot of customers who try to solve more low-level real-world problems. 
So they they are not even able to think about machine vision. They are not even think about predictive maintenance or other AI related stuff. They just want to display their current auto process to the people. So usually with current customer projects, we often see that uh, the customers are trying to solve much more real world problems uh, than uh, high fancy AI stuff. You can do the high fancy AI stuff with Peakboard as well, but this is not the main application we are seeking and we are seeing in the in the real world. Okay, very interesting. Yeah. And where does your specific IP or um, USP lie? Um, and this is also in regard to when we move on to China and later on. Um, is it the hardware? Is it this box that you um, connecting to, to all the machines and to the processes? Or is it the software that lies behind it? Or is it only in what I'm seeing a lot that um, the background in engineering and the long year experience uh, from from Germany about manufacturing and the insights that are on the experience and the heads of the people that are actually implementing this stuff. Actually, the box itself, so the hardware where uh, the magic takes place on is not very important, to be honest. 95% uh, mm -hmm. of the company is a software company. So our USP lies in the software that runs on the box and lies in the software that the customers use to design the visualization. And the USP is that it's super easy to do. So we are trying to make this data visualization in manufacturing as easy as operating an iPhone. And right. this is something that clearly differentiates uh, us from competitors. So if you use a a competitor, a high-class competitor, maybe like Siemens or Bosch Rexroth or something like this. Um, all these devices that you can use for this are super complicated and you always need an IT engineer um, to do this stuff. And it's very hard to change or to adjust it afterwards. And what we do is you can super easy build it and if after you have built it, you can super easy change it if it's necessary to change, or you can super easy change it if you want to improve your process. Um, this is the story and the USP we go into the market. And I think when it comes to China, this is something that Chinese customers really like. They really like to mm. change things and adjust and approve things and processes all the time. Um, the yeah. Germans like this as well, especially in recent <laughs> times. Um, but I think this is something we see in China is a very typical behavior of Chinese adjusting things, trying things out and don't build things for 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 the rest of the time <laughs> or for for for, yeah. for a whole lifetime, but building things and then at the same time thinking about um, how you can change and how you can you improve your process. This is a typical Chinese behavior and that's uh, why we think that this is a USP that not only works in German but especially works in China. Yeah, very interesting and I mean we will come to that in a minute uh, more in more detail but I'm also thinking about the 
um, how easy it is to implement, like you just said, you implement your product. That is also, you mean, on the one hand, what you're saying, Chinese people want to try out things, but they also want to test it and easily test it and test it quickly and small scale. And I think this is also um, a very good fit when it comes to China because a lot of the what you what you just said the high level machine vision AI stuff probably needs more engagement, more budget, more um, more risk, and uh, that's maybe something where where Chinese companies or manufacturing companies back off before. Is, would you say that's right? Um, I totally um, I totally agree. Um, yeah. Small scale start and then scale up, try out things, adjust things. That's a typical behavior of the modern world. And you can especially find this this way of thinking or this pattern yeah. of behavior in China. I totally think, yes. Yeah. So everyone really know how, how you went to China for the first time. But let's get a little bit of a basics again. So how, how big is your team at the moment? Um, uh, have you already have a lot of customers? How long is Peakboard existing? And, and you also founded a company before Peakboard, I, I, I remember. It's Theobald Software. Is it in some way related? Yeah. That's too, too many questions, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's no problem. I start from the beginning. So the yeah. Peakboard team currently has around 22 uh, colleagues um, here, here in, in, in Stuttgart, um, especially developers, around eight developers, a lot of marketing. So, um, And we are um, a complete um, startup company. So we are a very young company. We founded around uh, four years ago, four years ago from now. Um, so we are a very young company, um, still in the, in the, in the, let's say, uh, roaring age. So we are also mm. even here in the German speaking market, uh, we are trying out a lot. Um, and uh, one, uh, one colleague uh, in China, so that the Chinese team is not not super big yet. And um, yeah, a, a quick word to Theobald Software. Theobald Software um, actually focusing on, on SAP interfaces. So we are producing a software that where you can um, connect SAP in uh, SAP systems to um, to non SAP systems. And um, Theobald Software is doing this job um, relatively successfully over the 15 years. And that's actually where the money for Peakboard comes from. So uh, Peakboard does not have any external investors up to now. Um, so the only investor is Theobald Software, which gives us the opportunity to make very free decisions when it comes to um, product uh, product development. And this is a very, a very good situation. But it could be that there should be some external investors as well in the future, but not right now. So the relationship between Theobald Software and Peakbot is basically that's a mother-daughter company relationship right. or an mm. investor startup uh, relationship. Oh, that's very, yeah. That's also very in the tradition of the German SME kind of uh, uh, tradition. So that's very interesting, yeah. And um, yeah, let, tell me a little bit how, how you 
came about in, to this uh, stage where you're at at the moment, where you actually have a person in China already. You're still headquartered in, in Germany, obviously, but you have some operation in China. How did it all start? I think I remember you said you were part of the Shanghai startup class from DC Hub. Is that correct? That's absolutely correct. This this was yeah. the the uh, the initial step. So uh, around two years ago, we definitely had the plan to go international. Um, because of the mother company, we are experienced to expanding to the US. We are running an office there. Uh, we do some business in China with um, a Hong Kong based company. However, um, I always had the opinion that um, China is such a huge, but also a very complicated market. So sooner or later, we must um, solve this China market problem or we must solve this problem how to go into the Chinese market. And two years ago, uh, the DC Hub guys, uh, they offered the opportunity for German startups to go to Shanghai for four weeks and do some first steps in the Chinese market. And um, we, we won this pitch to be part of this accelerator program. So I went to Shanghai for the first time for these four weeks to find out or to find out, is there an answer to the question, is China um, a suitable market for Peakboard and are we able um, to, to, to enter this market realistically? I tried to answer these questions in these four weeks and after the four weeks, I thought, yes, maybe it's possible. We should continue this, this China engagement. And, um, and so we did. Very good. And um, yeah, maybe for the listeners who are interested, I'm going to put the DC Hub, the link that's an initiative from the University of Leipzig. I'm going to put that in the show notes. So if you're interested, you can check there. Um, yeah. And then how did you move on? Because that's what very inter actually very interesting to me, because there's a lot of delegation trips we're doing. Uh, I'm doing a tech code, a lot of delegation trips, um, University of Leipzig. There's many, many others. And it's really hard how to how to follow up really on on that. I mean, uh, on that first experience. I mean, DC Hub is not really a delegation trip, but it's more like a, a class for four weeks. So it's a little bit more um, in depth. But what were what were really the next steps after that? What were the follow up things that you did? That would be very interesting for me. Mm -hmm. Um, this was also the hardest part, to be honest. Yeah. So, <laughs> going on an acceleration program or going to a delegation trip is actually not too complicated. You can consider it <laughs> as some kind of holiday. <laughs> yeah. It's actually no problem. But the next steps are the, the real complicated things. So um, basically, how, how works how works. How, do, how does sales work in Germany? So for us in the B2B business, the most important uh, steps for sales, at, at least during these times, are trade fairs. So we are mm -hmm. going to trade fairs, we present our product and we go home with a bunch of business cards. And then later on, this is the typical input for a classical sales funnel. So we go after these leads. We try to make additional appointments. We try to then again present our products. We try to step into a proof of concept with the customer. And if everything goes well, at the end, the customer uh, orders the product. 
this is um, how B2B sales works. And we actually tried precisely the same stuff in China. So right. um, during the DC Hub times, the DC Hub guys, they helped me um, to have um, a trade fair presence at the, how was the name? Shanghai Industrial Automation Show. That's a typical B2B fair for the manufacturing uh, business. Uh, this was our first trade fair there um, during the DC Hub time. And it turned out that it basically it basically works quite similar to Germany. So there are people walking by, they're interested in the products, they take a brochure or a flyer, they leave their business card or their WeChat account, and then we can have a follow up on it. So this is precisely what we tried. However, right. the, the whole process until the real order of the customer turned out to be much more complicated than I initially thought. So it was not possible to just copy uh, the German way of thinking. Yeah, that's funny, because that's what I just wanted to ask you. And that's also what I discussed in the first episode with Julian, that um, you have you're spending a long time to figure out what are real leads and what are um, just, uh, you know, uh, fading out uh, conversations with potential partner, potential customers in China. So yeah. you need a lot, a lot of more breath and a lot of more, um, you know, uh, endurance there to, to go ahead. And um, so, but basically what you're just saying is that you, from these trade fair visits that you had in China, you basically made your first business in china and had your first project is that correct uh yes this is correct after a while and after going after a lot of leads lots of discussions especially lots of useless discussions at the end we had our first uh customer there who was really willing to give us money and get the product in return to use it and um then Initially, I thought, you know, sales is the most complicated part. If you have the customer once um, buying the product or willing to buy the product, then the rest is only uh, logistics. And this is super easy. But at the end, it turned out it was totally not super easy. It's, it's, yeah. it's also a huge struggle in China because our initial idea was then to send the box, the physical box, just directly um, from Germany to the Chinese customer, which turned out to be a super bad idea because they <laughs> got lost in the Chinese customs. So they are, we are still looking for it. They just got lost. And then uh, the next thing is that if the customer is, is willing to buy, they, they want it immediately. And you, right. you, you can't ship a product from here to China, which takes, if it's good, it takes some days. It's even too slow. Um, and then the customer wants a proper invoice. We thought, right. we thought, oh, we use the Hong Kong company. Hong Kong is almost China. We sent, uh, uh, we sent the invoice from the Hong Kong company and everything is cool. And we find out that actually the, 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 the Chinese customers consider an invoice from a Hong Kong company as, uh, as a foreign country. I, I wasn't aware of that. So that's so super complicated to do a money transfer uh, between a Chinese company and a Hong Kong company. Um, this was one of the one of thousand pitfalls uh, we stepped in. 
Right. And at what point at what point did you then consider to register a company and employ somebody? Because that's also the the consequence of all these troubles, right? You had to really register a company then there. And I, I remember from our previous talks that you did that too late when you could go back now, right? Uh, absolutely. Um, well, just to, um, to, to, to finish this story, yeah. after we understood that it's not possible to operate China business from Germany, this is a, not possible, um, we relied on partners. So the idea was that the partner is, um, the partner is buying the box and the software and they can uh, distribute it to the customer and uh, issue a proper invoice to the customer. Uh, we tried it with uh, German-speaking partners who who claimed to right. be uh, who claimed to to offer this service for especially for German companies. And we also tried it out with Chinese customers. And it turned out that all these people are time wasters. <laughs> I'm super frustrated by this. <laughs> All of them are all of them are time wasters. I, I, I can't find a different description for this. Um, it was even more complicated to deal with the partner in between and also with legal issues be between the customer and the partner and us. It was a huge time wasting process and the customer who were willing to buy uh, gave up because we weren't able to deliver. And at this point in time, we had to make the decision, are we giving up or are we doing this where everybody is warning us to found a real company in, in China. Yeah. A lot of people say, oh, this is super complicated. And if you don't know the language and if you don't have the right relations and so on, uh, don't do this. This will fail. Um, but actually for us, it was the only chance. So we had the chance to give up the China project or uh, try to do the own company. Uh, found found right. their own company and at the end it turned out that founding a company in china is much much easier than expected um, we um, did it together with the same consulting company who was responsible for our hong kong company and actually it turned out to be very smooth okay and that was a chinese consulting company or a german no or uh, it, they, they are hong kong based Uh, just in Hong Kong yeah, based they are local. actually uh, focusing on Hong Kong companies but the the lady who is who is uh, who founded this consulting company she got married to a mainland Chinese and okay. so they expanded their business to founding mainland companies too and uh, this was very smooth yeah And um, and then and now you already have a, an employee in in China. Was it the the next steps right next step right away, or was this considered later on in the process? Um, basically, this more or less happened at the same time. It was very yeah. clear that even 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 if we have um, a Ch Chinese staff here in Germany, it's not possible to do this whole thing remotely. So we definitely needed something with some someone within the country who is able to speak the language and who is especially able to travel around the country and visit customers and so on. So this was yeah. this happened at the same time. 
And I definitely wanted someone who is doing it full time. Um, I think it was very important for us to have someone who has full dedication and not see us as a side project. Yeah. And um, I also remember from our previous talks that you have a, a kind of inbound sales manager, if you want to say it like that, because I, I also worked in this whole HR field in Shanghai around 2012-13. And um, I also employed the first uh, or helped to employ the first sales guys for German medium-sized companies in Shanghai, Taizang and so on. And this is always a really big trouble. I mean, this is the, this is uh, an issue where you where everything can fail or everything can succeed extremely well. So, but I I really liked your approach. I don't know if you did it intentionally, but you said that you hired somebody that is actually only uh, doing or only like uh, in 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 brackets, but only um, doing inbound. So that he's going to to trade fairs, he getting some new business cards, he's getting the uh, inbound uh, inquiries, and then you work that off until there's an another trade fair is coming. So you you didn't go into much risk in hiring like a big sales team or like a super superstar sales manager with a lot of money, where you don't know uh, if if it's working or not. Is, am I understanding this correctly? Or yes, yes, absolutely. The, the guy we hired during the first talk, he he showed he was very enthusiastic about this project, but he was not very experienced. Right. Um, experienced salespeople in China are super expensive. We are not yes. we are not able to afford this, or we are not willing to afford this. But I had the feeling that enthusiasm. Um, is sometimes more important that ex than experience. I know this. I think this is true um, all over the world. So right. we, we give him a try. And at the end, it turned out that it works very well. Right. And I think this is a very smart move because then you can get going. Maybe um, it's not exploding from, from day one, but also the risk is not as high. And... Um, But that's what I'm seeing a lot, at least in my time, and that's already a couple of years ago, so things might have changed. But a lot of my previous clients, they said, bring me the best guy who has the best contacts already, who is coming from the competitor and can um, plug and play and boom our business from day one. And this is also a risky strategy. And I think that's very smart move, especially from is um, in terms of um, your startup background where you obviously don't have the mu that much resources that a, um, a hidden champion from Baden-Württemberg or Bayern would have who enters the Chinese market so yeah, yeah very interesting and um, and now who are your clients you're You're, you're mainly serving Chinese companies or foreign companies or how, how do I understand um, that mm. I would say half-half okay. roughly mm. Um, but I have the feeling that the foreign companies in China are a little bit more open to our company. Right. Of course, they understand that we have a, a foreign background. And I have the feeling that the pure Chinese companies are um, not super enthusiastic. They are more into mm -hmm. pure local companies. And um, when, when we go for foreign companies, we don't see that 
uh, we don't see any uh, they are mm, they are they're willing to accept this or maybe you yeah. can see this as a chance yes yes and um I, I maybe people get already bored of me saying this because i'm saying this all the time but um this is also kind of in the tradition of of companies going to china i mean they a lot of them were pulled from the foreign companies from some uh, uh, couple of pioneers like VW, BASF, Siemens yeah. that went there yeah. early on and then they got pulled in to, to, um, for the supply chain and the, and the other suppliers. So actually this is also in the tradition of, of, um, of German companies going to China, but still it's very interesting that you have at least um, some Chinese clients because no, normally, I, I, when I get it correctly, people got there, they started to serve VW and then they differentiated their market reach towards Chinese clients as well. But um, from the very beginning on, serve the German clients. But you kind of made it the other way around. Is that correct or not really? Yeah. Um, yes, it could be a little bit the other way around. Yes. Um, but we see that we see that it's really easier to access um, subsidiaries of Western um, of Western companies there. I think yeah. it's, but I think it's a pure, it's a pure psychological thing for them. Right. And how, how is this business coming into existence? Is it happening in, in China, in the ecosystem China, or is there also some trans transfer cross-border? Like, for example, you have a customer in, in Germany and they're saying, oh yeah, we just built this manufacturing plant out in wherever China, um, you have to talk to those people because that's exactly what they need at the moment. Yeah, um, both both channels are okay. um, are yeah. valid. Um, it's especially helpful when they when they when both channels meet. So let's say someone from a German company um, sees us at a at a Shanghai fair or a China fair, and then we say to them, "Oh, listen, your uh, your German mother company is already using our product. This is super helpful." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Mm. Very interesting. And um, what? Um, how do you see the whole? Because this is a very interesting to a lot of people, I believe. How do you see the whole IP challenge in China? Have you done there some measures? Have you worked with the partner to protect you, or how how is your take on that? Um, I see it probably a little bit differently from 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 other people. Um, I really hope that someone is trying to copy us. <laughs> if I, 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 I want to one day I want to walk along on a Shenzhen electronic market and find a peakboard box, a copied peakboard box there. Uh, this would be a big honor for me. This is my, <laughs> this is my attitude on that because um, you can't actually you can't really prevent uh, them from from copy, uh, especially mm -hmm. the hardware. Um, copy the software is much more difficult. And we are protecting our software at least a little bit. Uh, and if they just want to copy it, it will be difficult for them from the software side. Um, but at the end, um, I think we, we, we have done the, the basic stuff around protecting IP, but we don't do more. I think it's, 
uh, it's it's it does not pay off because you can't protect it anyway. And very interesting. And that's kind of a Chinese mindset where you feel humbled when somebody pro uh, absolutely. reproduces your totally like the Shanghai culture. I, I, absolutely. I, do, mm. I totally understand this attitude. And I think the best mm. way you can do as a German to 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 swim to swim along the others. And it's also a kind of strategic, pragmatic uh, angle to it, isn't there? Because um, you also like in the in the idea and the logic of uh, Sony PlayStation wants the the um, games to be copied in order to sell more PlayStations. That you also will be when your product is copied, will be the original kind of company that is providing this product am i getting this right or yeah, yeah could be could be yes <laughs> absolutely i i see yeah. that there might be also a threat um yeah. but i don't think that this is a this is a huge problem you have to adjust your attitude to the chinese market otherwise um this will be you will need a lot of energy and uh you will need a lot of energy to 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 pursue your own views of um, of IP and I would rather invest this energy in selling and in making the product better than r rather than protecting it. Yeah, yeah, that's also the idea of, of I think from Shenzhen and, and this open source kind of that you continuously improve. You just run faster than the others and yep. you're building an, a brand and you're working on that particular IP that is also really connected to your experience and your knowledge and your brain. Mm -hmm. Um, that that you have and that would be your software and the consulting that you can apply um, is your product like in the startup uh, vocabulary kind of scalable is it I mean B2B that's also by a lot of Chinese investors it backed off for, from B2B for a long time because B2C is much better scalable they're getting much more returns than Uh, from from a beast to see app product or e-commerce or social media product uh, is there some kind of an off to off the shelf uh, business model already or maybe in the future that you having or um, how is it yeah. um, i definitely think that this can scale a lot especially because we see ourselves as a technology or software vendor we do not see ourselves in selling projects this is true right. for, for germany and also for china so um, we want to leave so actually we want to leave the projects themselves um, to partners and focus on selling the technology and the product and that's how we can scale worldwide that's the idea right And coming back to um, how you implement, let's go really with the Chinese customers again. What is the key difference of a, of a Chinese a project with the Chinese customers compared also to a foreign customer in China and to a foreign customer in Germany altogether? Yeah. Uh, they expect you to be super fast. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, they don't accept any delay. So so mm -hmm. even even only a couple of hours in delay um, are seem to annoy the Chinese customers. Yeah. Um, the second thing is, um, it's legally, from a legal standpoint, it's relatively complicated. We see that with every customer, we need to have uh, some kind of legal agreement 
and this legal agreement must be discussed. Uh, I'm not used to this kind of pattern. So when it comes to a German customer, we send an offer and then there comes in an, yeah. an, an order and things are done. And I have the feeling that the legal issues and getting an agreement to set up is seem to be much more complicated uh, in China. Maybe it's because mm -hmm. they don't trust each other. Um, I have the feeling that German companies in a, in a B2B business, they much more trust each other than, um, than a B2B business in China. Yeah, that's very interesting. I mean, there's a, there's a, lo a long discussion that we could uh, have about the whole trust issue, but this is, I think, one of the key challenges when it comes to cultural differences. You have to spend more time to build trust with, with Chinese partners altogether. And I think there's also, also the social or credit system or corporate social credit system that mm -hmm. is trying to facilitate that better or to improve this whole process. But um, yeah, and it's not only between foreign and Chinese companies, it's between Chinese and Chinese companies, especially. So that's, I think, also it's already the high level decision makers are also aware of this this issue. But yeah, that's that's very interesting. Yeah. I think it, it slows down business a lot. I think yeah. trusting each other like it's very common in the Western world, uh, especially yeah. in Germany. So it, I think that that when two companies make business together in Germany, I think they they follow a very high degree of trust. Yes, yes. And and yeah. I think that's very efficient on doing business. Yeah. And that's also another uh, argument for startups. Uh, try that for an argument that startups should rather try to focus on the foreign companies in China first and then move on to yeah. their way to the Chinese and, and build up the bigger market um, there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah I totally understand. Yeah. This is this is true, what you say. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. But coming back quickly only, maybe to also say that again, but coming back to partners, because that's also like a, a magic word <laughs> when we talk about startups going to China, you have to have the right partners. So how would you answer that question? Does it, because the, you just said, said that there were partners that don't, didn't make sense at all, especially when it comes to sales or distribution maybe, but then there were good partners that, but they were, did very basic things, if, if you want to call it basic, but to, like setting up a company for you or helping yeah. to you to set up a company. What 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 is your philosophy on the partner uh, topic? Um, I think that's a very difficult question. So in yeah. general, my experiences with so-called partners are not very good. Um, yeah. We have a lot of inquiries at trade fairs with companies who want to partner with us. And sometimes I have the feeling it, it totally doesn't make sense to me. So where is your... Yeah. How can we work together to make it more valuable? And and if, if when I ask these questions, they just fade away or stop discussions. Yes. And the same is true even partners where it could fit well. Then they sometimes they ask for exclusivity. Right. Then I say, <clears throat> okay, we can do exclusivity, but then you have to give me something in return. For example, you must guarantee a certain revenue as in return for exclusivity because we can't give you exclusivity and get nothing in return. Then they yes. stop talking to me. 
Hmm. And this is something I don't understand. I think asking for something in return is 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 should be totally okay. I, I still haven't solved these problems. I still don't understand why these people expect from me exclusivity and are not willing to give me anything in return. I still haven't found out why they they are trying this. Yeah, that's interesting. That's maybe something also to pursue further on. But because this whole partner discussion is very big in when we talk about startups going to China. But would you advise, what would be your advice when you talk, uh, when, when you say to startups, really try to go for this one first project? Would that be your advice in a, in a nutshell? Really try to get that one um, assignment from, from a company in China? Yes, I think it, it's worth trying, yeah. um, but I would never agree to any kind of exclusivity or to anything yeah. that limits me. So if we work together with partners, we expect that it's not going to work out. So yeah. if there are any negative consequences in the legal agreement, then you always have to consider if it's not going to work out with the partner, does it have any negative impact on my business? And exclusivity has a huge negative impact if the partner is not doing a good job. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Because I, I'm I think that you very fast end up in front of a Chinese court um, yeah. If you don't stick to the exclusivity, you grant it. And then the whole energy is flowing into these uh, legal problems. And this is not a good thing. Yeah. Very interesting. Maybe one last question to the whole China area. But um, before we, we, we start to finish off, um, is investment, you said investment could be an idea for you in the future. Is, is this something you are particularly looking China for? Or is it something you are just open on a global level where you, where you would be willing to talk to investors, whether they are from China, whether they're from Germany, or are you saying, um, no, I'm only looking for German or in the US and ch leave China out or the other way around, only looking in China? Uh, in mm. my opinion, uh, both is, is, an, is, a, is, a, is a possible way. Um, yeah. Investment in the German company or foreign investment in the Chinese company. Um, both yeah. is worth discussing. So, um, but this only makes sense for us if the, cust uh, if the potential investor brings a real cool feature into the relationship. We are not interested yeah. in, actually, we are not interested in money or not only yes. interested in money. We are interested in partnering with a, with a real cool company that brings in real cool relations or a real cool commitment to a market or brings in a product that we can join together with our product or something like this. This is something that would be very interesting in the pure Chinese market. It would be interesting in the German market or even on a global scale. We are very open for discussions here. But very it must be definitely yeah. more than money. We are not only interested in money. Money is not a problem. Yes. Yeah. If we zoom out a little bit and you would have to answer this question, 
what do you think generally about German startups going to China? Um, how do you how do you answer that? <laughs> That's mm -hmm. a very tricky question. Um, <laughs> to be honest, actually, this this whole question is discussed a lot, bringing German startups to China. However, I have rarely met people who really successfully did this. Yeah. I think that's very rare. Yes. Yeah. And why do you think is that? I don't know. I have no clue. Yeah. I, I totally have no clue, but I have the feeling that everybody's talking about it, but very few people have successfully done it. Yeah, exactly. And that's also what we're trying to do here a little bit, to talk to those that have done it. And uh, that's why I'm very grateful to have this conversation with you but yeah um i agree with you and um and i think maybe we are in the awareness phase where we have we have to people get aware where, where dc hub gin techo and any other players are pushing the awareness for this and mm -hmm. maybe only a couple of years later or even more years later this will really come there will be more substance and more actually prayers and then i'm also missing a little bit like what we discussed before the pull factor the foreign companies in china pulling in the suppliers and um, there's many many reasons to that as well and um, uh, but also on the other hand the, the foreign companies in china the corporates and the big firms they also have to kind of reinvent themselves now in china so they have also a lot of challenges there so it's a really big topic but maybe we can get to a little bit to some answers during this podcast series but um yeah very interesting um maybe to finish off one question also that uh, is obviously very interesting to us from the gin network and um what partners or programs or maybe also individuals have helped you along the way uh, in a big uh, in a big sense and And also connected to that, what would you like to see more? What, where could you need more help from from people, from a network? If we're really talking about a nonprofit network, where um, uh, we're trying to push this awareness and trying to help people to to overcome these challenges more easily. Mm -hmm. um. <laughs> Lots of questions. Sorry. <laughs> okay. It's <laughs> my weakness. <laughs> so no problem. So first, the institute. There are there are lots of institutions who helped us a lot. The DC Hub helped. Also, the working together with the TechOut guys, um, mm. I gained a lot of experience. But actually, uh, one of the most important institutions, especially recently during the pandemic. Um, situation was was the the AHK in Shanghai, oh, so really, the, yeah. the the German Chamber. Actually, uh, they they helped a lot. They they did not solve all, all our problems. It's it's not their job, but they helped a lot, especially now during the the, the pandemic situation. Uh, continuously um, visiting trade fairs without being able to travel to China, and they helped us a lot. So really. Uh, big thanks go out to the to the AHK in in Guangzhou and, and in Shanghai and also in, in in Taipei. Very good. Yeah, big shout out to the AHK people. <laughs> Absolutely. Very interesting. Yeah. Um, when it comes to networking, uh, networking 
is a really interesting is a really interesting thing. So sharing experience, uh, meeting other China-related people would be very interesting uh, to me. Uh, what would be especially interesting, I had the idea. I think we. I also shared to you last year. I'm not sure if you can remember. What would be very interesting is maybe, maybe, maybe set up some kind of um, local. A local co-working space in 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 one of the Chinese city cities. So right. if, if if some maybe some some more uh, German startups are willing to to settle there, maybe we can we can set up a co-working space together. Maybe we can share some costs there. Um, maybe yeah, even, that's interesting. Even share a staff like a lady who answers the phone or something like this. I would be very willing to to contribute here um, because currently we do all the logistics on our own. Um, and I think it would be very valuable to share this uh, with with other startup startups. Yeah. So a little bit like the tight tongue for for German startups. <laughs> so yeah, something uh, in, like this. I think this would be yeah. very nice. Very nice. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, very interesting. Yeah, Patrick, thank you very much. I think we already uh, close to the end here. Um, that was very, very interesting. Um, I also learned a lot, although we talked to before <laughs> a lot before, but already, but um, and we know each other a long time already. But um, this was very interesting to me. Very interesting discussion. Thanks you a lot for all sharing all this and and all your insights. I believe you also also have a kind of a webinar channel from Peakboard, is that, that, but that's probably more the technical side, right? Or do you also discuss like more the intercultural kind of things? Yeah, the, the Peakboard webinars we are offering are basically technical, so we are offering them yeah. in German and in uh, in English, but it's pure purely about our product, so it's um, it's not meant to be uh, something around the business side. Um, right. But in general, maybe you can allow to, to add me this here. So if, if, if anyone is out there who is willing to share experience about the whole China uh, thing, about manufacturing in general, about visualization, whatever we talked about the last hour, feel free to contact me on LinkedIn, uh, share your story, uh, step by for a coffee. Uh, either here or in China, I'm I'm very willing to 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 contact people, to share stuff, to share experience. Just contact me. That's very nice. I just wanted to ask you. So LinkedIn is probably the best channel. I'm going to put that all in the in the show notes. Um, you're also on WeChat, but maybe that's the next second step. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I will put your LinkedIn, also the webinar channel, your website and everything into the show notes. So everyone who's interested um, can look there uh, in the show notes. All right. Um, then I will say thank you very much again. Yeah, thank you. And hope, hope to see you in real life. Let me know when you're ever in your Berlin. I will let you know when I'm in Stuttgart or maybe we... We have another trip to China again. That would oh, be awesome. I really hope fun. so. Oh, I hope so. In, um, uh, next year, <laughs> early next year. I'm very positive about that. <laughs> yeah, let's be optimistic about that. Okay. Thank you, Thank Patrick. you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening and uh, feel free to give us feedback on this episode as well as other episodes. And also, if you would like to see anything else covered in future episodes or would like to see any other questions that I can ask the entrepreneurs, 
and have them answered by them. Feel also free to approach us. My LinkedIn contact details are in the show notes. And I hope to see you next time.